When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. I live on a street named after a saint. Women in the churches wear powder and paint. Where the Jews and the Catholics and the Muslims all pray, I can tell a proddy from a mile away. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Jimmy Reed, indeed. Give me that old-time religion. It's just what I need. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Goodbye, Jimmy Reed from 2020's Rough and Rowdy Ways is fellow Bobcat, Ethan McGuire. Hi, Ethan. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I do have to apologize, everybody, in case you notice my voice is low. I'm in the middle of a cold right now, but the, the show must go on, so we're going to do our best to persevere here. I apologize if I uh, cough into the mic. I'll edit all that out, everybody, but I'm apologizing to you, Ethan, in case you have to hear some unfortunate things on this microphone as, as we go on. Um, Understood. Yeah, but again, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And, and man, I'm excited to talk about this song because, boy, this is just a terrific terrific i mean everything on rough and ready ways is terrific but this one oh boy this is like a real barn burner but before we get to it you know ethan it's your first time on the show i gotta ask you like how'd you become a fan of bob absolutely yeah um again thanks for having me and uh, uh apologies accepted for the coffin there um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll just give you a nice uh deep blues man voice there you go so yeah, that, that'll smoking be cigarettes and selling the soul to the devil and all that kind absolutely of stuff. absolutely Okay, so I got into Bob Dylan in college. I, I knew about him. So I grew up playing bluegrass and folk music, also uh, gospel and some country music from the time I was a little kid. And when you are in the folk um, kind of realm, Bob Dylan, anytime past the 60s, is a huge um, kind of figure. Uh, none of the people that I kind of played around really liked him, though. It was kind of a, a more bluegrass-focused um, scene. And, you know, the things I heard about him were more along the lines of, you know, maybe what um, my hippie aunts and uncles might have said very reverently about him as, <laughs> you know, the, the kind of all the Messiah kind of stuff. So I always kind of just strayed away from him because I was just always thought, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, um, up through the first part of college when I was still playing music a lot, you know, that, that kind of guy's just not for me. Um, you know, that just wasn't the kind of worship that I was interested in in giving uh, a musician. So um, I ended up eventually becoming a really big fan of this band called Old Crow Medicine Show. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, so the lead singer and the writer of that band, Catch the Core, um, what I eventually found out, you know, that his their big hit, Wagon Wheel, was um, literally ripped from kind of an outtake on a bootleg he'd found in England. Um, so that kind of intrigued me. I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. I looked more into it and I found, um, that, that catch and the whole band were really big fan of Bob Dylan's. And I really liked the attitude that old Crow medicine show had toward music to where they appreciated music, enjoyed music, but they were not overly reverent toward any part of it, but representing it really well. So it was kind of that middle ground that I was always interested in representing myself. So I was like, you know what, maybe there actually is more to this Bob Dylan than I think. <laughs> so I started looking into him about the same time. You know, I, I, I always heard blowing in the wind, um, the times they are changing. When I was in high school, my history book said 
that the times they are changing was a big song and an important part of the counterculture movement, all these kind of things. Um, but then I found the song things have changed. And that, that was the first time where I really realized what kind of a, a genius lyrically and musically that Bob Dylan was. And that kind of set me on the path. Um, Old Crow Medicine shows love of Bob Dylan and then uh, finding that song. And then also at about the same time, I was actually trying to get a sort of um, folk influence band together. It never ended up materializing, but I was starting to write some of my own songs for it. And um, I kind of started letting Bob Dylan be an influence in that regard for me. So that, that was really the start of the journey. And it, it ended up to where I am now to where Bob Dylan to me is probably um, my favorite artist, um, at least of the modern and postmodern eras, for sure. Um, just as a musical poet and, and all those things that, you know, your show obviously very well covers. Um, so there's a lot more to it. Um, you know, I got into a lot of his songs first, but then when I was at a bookshop, I, there was a Rolling Stone had put out this collection. So this special edition of the magazine called the special collector's edition of Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan, the complete album guide. And I've actually got that in my hands right now. <laughs> and so I had just kind of started through various artists um, going through their discographies from start to finish. So I picked up that and I kind of used that as my guide. And I just started going from uh, Bob Dylan self-titled all the way to, I think the guide itself ends at Tempest with a bunch of the bootlegs covered as well. And so once I did that, I was in for sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You're all in at that point. Yeah. That's when he became my favorite artist. So that, that's the story of it. Wow. So, okay. You were talking about that. You, you were playing musician, playing music from a very early age. Uh, I mean, what were the, were you playing guitar? I mean, how, how were you yeah. doing that exactly? Um, I mostly played guitar and mandolin, um, lead and rhythm guitar and, and then several different things on the mandolin and then a little bit of uh, electric and upright bass and a tiny little bit of banjo. Wow. That's a, geez, that's a lot of stuff, man. Are you still kind of proficient in all those? Uh, not, I'm not proficient in all those anymore. The, um, the only thing I'm close to proficient in still is the guitar. Uh, once I kind of got into college, um, the college I went to didn't really have the kind of scene that I was a part of um, as far as folk and bluegrass music goes and uh, gospel as well. Um, the kind of music that they played that was even adjacent to that, I just didn't feel comfortable in. And I kind of fell out of it, unfortunately. Um, funny enough, my brother, who plays much better than I do, has actually moved down to where we live recently. And uh, because of that, I've been playing a lot more. Wow, that's uh, that's really amazing. I, I mean, I've said on the show many times, I'm, I'm so impressed by people that can play music because I just I'm, it's so alien to me. So anyone that knows <laughs> how to do it, to me, is just so... Uh, so impressive. So I imagine, so <laughs> now you said you, you found, you sort of discovered Bob sort of through things have changed. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, how did you find your way to that song? Cause that's, I mean, that's not a song you're just going to kind of discover in, in daily life or, or whatever. Cause it's not like you're going to hear it on the radio or <laughs> yeah. you have to kind of search it out a little bit. You know, I'm not really sure. I was trying to think about that before the show because I knew you were going to ask me about <laughs> these things. I, I don't remember exactly how I found it. I knew that because of the Old Crow Medicine show, I was looking around for some Bob Dylan um, songs. And I didn't have Spotify yet then. And, and um, I think maybe Pandora. I don't know. Maybe it showed up on Pandora or else, you know, I, I 
went to a downloading site and found it, to be honest. That may be gotcha. how I found it. Um, but it popped up and I just, I just tried it. Um, I, I don't remember exactly the situation, but as soon as I heard it, um, it hooked me. So what, what was it about that song? I mean, it's a great song, undoubtedly, but what was no. it about that that was like, that just was like the lightning bolt? Yeah, so um, definitely the darkness of it and the kind of apocalyptic biblical <laughs> imagery, um, all the hangman imagery and all those kind of things going through it, like Bob Dylan going through the song as if he's somehow related to the Grim Reaper or something. <laughs> and uh, just the the effectiveness of the lyrics, even when they were ambiguous or vague, and all the the really concrete, rich metaphors in it. Um, and then just the music sounded both sinister, but not in a like kind of too negative, too nihilistic sort of way. Um, you know, I think of that song and a lot of my favorite Bob Dylan songs, a lot like the Time Out of Mind song, Not Dark Yet, to where, you know, it's an acknowledgement of there is something coming, you know, there's some kind of apocalypse, but there's still a little bit of hope left. And that just rang so true to me at that very moment with um, various things going on in my life as well. So th- that's really what struck me. And then it was about the same time that I was really starting to write as well. Um, I was even starting to write uh, poetry and things like that. So I was getting really interested in how to create really good concrete images. Um, so it was a guide for me in that regard. So you feel like that was something you could sort of draw a straight line through of the stuff that you were hearing in Bob songs and, having it to develop into your own songwriting? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I um, didn't really continue in the songwriting, but I did continue in the poetry and that definitely influenced me. Wow. That's fantastic. I mean, that's great. You know, um, that's a, uh, is there any particular era that you are a, you said you went through the whole discography. So you kind of, you know, you heard all of it. Um, was there any particular era that really sh- struck out at you more than, than any other? I mean, he's got so many at this point. You can yeah. have multi- there could be multiple answers to that question. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first era that I really latched onto was the saved era because ah, um, the first... not the answer most people say. <laughs> yeah, interestingly enough, um, part of it has to do... Um, I didn't even actually find this out until afterwards, but um, the Old Crow Medicine Show guy that I was so influenced by learning about Bob Dylan with um, his favorite album, funny enough, the only person I've ever heard say this is Saved, the actual album. Okay. The only per- yeah, that's strange. It's not my favorite album. But Slow Train Coming, um, that song is so good instrument, uh, instrumentally, produced so well, um, and it's so evangelistic. It's just so, <laughs> it's just like a shot to the heart, really. Um, for, so I think that's what caught me about it. And, you know, being involved in a lot of kind of like a bluegrass music younger, um, that kind of rang true for me and because of that. That's amazing. I said that's, <laughs> I mean, it's, I think Saved is a, is a great record. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, it, is it among like what I put it like in his top 10 even? Maybe not, but yeah. it's still a great record, you know? Oh, so, yeah, uh, definitely. That, that, that was definitely one that when I was getting to really into him, that really, that album really struck me even more than, Slow Train Coming or Shot yeah. of Love in some ways. Um, then I thought it was interesting that Mark Knopfler on uh, Slow Train Coming, um, mm. I was already into Dire Straits at that point. And so his guitar work, uh, I was like, wow, okay. So, you know, there's, there's more to this guy than just blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, we all learn that eventually, uh, one, event, you know, one way or the other. So um, now I know that you have seen him live at this point. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I saw him live um, just a few weeks ago. Now, was that the first time? It was the first time, yep. Oh, wow. Okay. So what was that like? Um, it, it was great. I mean, so I got into him later, obviously. I, I would have got into him, you know, in the early 2010s, probably, somewhere around in there. And so, you know, by then, he'd already kind of had that reputation of being a very inconsistent live performer. <laughs> so I, to be honest with you, early on, I was kind of afraid to go to his concerts um, because I was afraid of being disappointed. I was, um, it's silly, but I mean, I was afraid of having his image in my mind tainted by a bad performance. Um, you know, and he was obviously already older by that point as well. And so, you know, I, I'd seen plenty of legacy acts to where it's just almost, you know, like pitiful to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't, I won't name any names of people that I've seen cause I don't want to do that. But you're like, well, I'm glad I saw them, but it wasn't really that fun, to be honest. You know, it was, just it was kind of like something. a museum piece or something. Exactly. But when I saw Bob Dylan just a few weeks ago, April 7th, um, in Mobile, Alabama, the Sanger Theater, beautiful venue. It was a fantastic concert. Um, I am a huge fan of the Rough and Rowdy Ways album. Um, it's definitely in the upper half of his, of his discography for me. And so it, it was the Rough and Rowdy Ways uh, worldwide tour, I think is what they call it, right? Yeah. Yep. So um, it, it was just really wonderful. I mean, his his voice was, you know, like I'm, I'm sure you well know, it, uh, basically a growl, but it, it sounded better than a lot of bootlegs that I'd heard from some of the earlier years, um, some of the, like a few years ago. Um, there, there was just something both sinister and comforting about the way he sung. <laughs> And then his band is fantastic. I mean, I've even told people it's almost worth the price of admission just to hear his band because they're good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I loved it. That's great. I mean, I I can understand that that you you know if you're if you're falling in love with this guy and then you try and take in his art in that respect, which is the live yeah. performance, and you walk away disappointed. Yeah, you know, then he's like, well, all right, there's this one part I didn't like as much or whatever. But that's that's great. I mean, Mobile. I mean, you know. He's mentioned a lot of cities in his songs, but there haven't been that many <laughs> that he mentions in the title right. of one of his songs. So, I mean, that's sort of like the perfect. And we know yeah. Bob. You know, Bob never does anything to just make people go, yay, because he's just not that mm-hmm. kind of performer. But it's like, you know, Bob, you could have pulled out Stuck Inside a Mobile while you were there. You yeah, could have done no, that. But did. no, you know, he just doesn't. Of course not. He does not do things like that. No, uh, no, no. So, again, this is it's so exciting to talk to someone who has discovered Bob sort of recently and then they get a new album as part of like that, that flush of discovery, you know? <laughs> yep. um, I mean, that's especially one as strong as, as rough and rowdy ways. And so for this song, goodbye, Jimmy Reed. I mean, Bob does this. I have found virtually every album uh, of the 21st century albums. That's God. He's been around so long. You can do that. You can put it into that era, you know, the 21st yeah, century. That's crazy. But, um, but like, there's at least one, sometimes more than one, song on each one of the records of like Love and Theft and Modern Times and Together Through Life and Tempest, and then they got this one. That's like just like a boogie, you know. That's like the fun song, whether it's like Shake Shake Mama on Together Through Life or um, Summer Days on Love and Theft, or you know, he he loves doing that. There's at least one where it's just kind of this fun. Let you pop 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 pop, you know. And it, I, I noticed them, and it, they those songs tend to be on the first pass of listening to a record 
my favorite song because they're so catchy and they're so fun. Now, eventually, as the album, you know, I live with the album a lot longer, other work seeps in. And, you know, like when I first heard Modern Times, you know, I was like, oh, Someday Baby, that's just a fun little, you know, boogie kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And then Working Man's Blues became like, oh, no, that's my favorite. And same thing with this, right? When I first heard this, it was just that, you know, the, the jingle jangle of that opening guitar. I was like, oh, this is a friggin' blast. Oh, yeah. And I listened to And then, you know, Key West has come up, and now it's like, oh, that's like a masterpiece. But it makes me think about when I read an interview with him, I think around when he was promoting Love and Theft, maybe. He wasn't doing a whole lot of press back then because, of course, there was a lot of crazy shit going on in the world at that time that record came out. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he said that he was disappointed with how much he felt the production on Time Out of Mind that the songs were kind of same-samey. Yeah. And he wanted more of an A-B kind of thing. And I can see that he's doing that with these records that he's producing under his Jack Frost handle is that you've got these kind of like switching of, you know, you got Black Rider, you know, and then you got this, you know, bah, yeah. and then he goes and get a quiet spec now again with Mother of Muses. But this is just such a fun song. So, I mean, why, what was it about this one that you made you want to talk about? Well, so one of the biggest reasons is that it seems like too few people have talked about this one. I mean, the ones that get the most talk are obviously Murder Most Foul, um, his, his first song top the Billboard chart, all those kind of things. False Prophet, I Contain Multitudes with uh, the updating of the Whitman lines. Um, Key West, Philosopher Pirate, because it's, it is almost a masterpiece. To me, it, it's a lot like Highlands, but even better. Um, my own personal favorite on the, on the album is My Own Version of You. Um, there are at least, there's at least one stands on there that, you know, people have talked about and it's one of the, the, my favorite stanzas that Bob is, uh, verses, sorry, that Bob has ever written. And, um, which one's that by the way, before you get off that, which one is that? Yeah. So, um, the one where he says, uh, way back before England and America were made. That, okay. That, yeah. Um, down by the cypress trees where the, ancient women uh, men sold into slavery yeah that yep, verse. yep yep that's yeah. amazing yeah yeah so i've heard people talk about that but you know so even though that's my favorite goodbye jimmy reed is just one i haven't heard people really talking about that much and there's a lot of great it definitely fits the lyrically it fits the the mood of the album but it's like you said it's an upbeat song it's it's the most straightforward blues track mm. on the album and i think it deserves more attention uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, were you familiar at all with, with Jimmy Reed before this? No. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't. And it, this is another example of something, especially in, in the later part of his career that Bob has been so good at, is bringing you to other artists. Um, I was not aware of Jimmy Reed before. Um, I was more aware of the people who kind of overshadowed him um, in the legacy uh, area. And... The funny thing was when I first saw the title, at first I was thinking in my head of Jerry Reed. <laughs> the country figure. That would have but, been an amazing song. <laughs> Goodbye, Jerry I, Reed. Yeah. I was like, well, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting for Dylan to reference Jerry Reed. Okay. <laughs> Big Whatever. fan of the Smokey and the Bandit movies. That, yeah. <laughs> you never know what Bob is going to laugh No, at. I, I, I'm barely joking when I say that. I, I, mean, I know. It might but, be. We don't know. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, with like the first line of uh, Love and Theft being about Alicia Keys, you, you just had never have any idea. Yeah, you um, never know. But no, I, I didn't know much about Jimmy Reed. Um, I think I might have heard one of his big songs, and I definitely had heard some of his songs covered by other people since so many blues and folk songs are covered by other artists. Um, and, and, you know, then I came to realize that he had influenced so many people. So I'd heard that as well. Um, so as soon as I came to him, I was familiar. But um, no, other than that, I was not familiar. Yeah, I always wonder about like, uh, you know, when, when he does this, when Bob does this, does, whoever owns the rights to, <laughs> what, you know, whoever you know, owns Jimmy Reed's records or somebody else, do they see like a spike in oh, you know yeah. streams because you know and there's there's like somebody monitoring this for like what's happening like why you know why is all her, why is everybody <laughs> why 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 is Spotify uh set well but Spotify's probably sending Jimmy Reed's estate like eighteen cents but you know you oh, get yeah. my point <laughs> uh, you know like oh wow it's eighteen more cents than they normally send it's kind of amazing yeah. now I I had heard of Jimmy Reed uh, and and almost entirely in the context of he was one of these blues guys that was in it you know in an influence. Mm-hmm on on bob but i didn't know any of the music and since then i've gone and listened to some jimmy reed songs absolutely and i really like them like i'm like oh, oh yeah. this, this stuff's really good so yeah thanks bob if for nothing else yeah i've discovered some more songs i didn't know i liked so yeah. just for that oh absolutely that, that 1958 compilation album i'm jimmy reed of a lot of the singles he had done that is a fantastic blues record so i'm very glad to have found that i was reading about that he had one of his songs covered by elvis which of course uh, yeah. Bob, Bob also had that as well. We know what Bob feels about Elvis. So on some level, I feel like there's some sort of like kinship there, where it's like, oh yeah, we both got yeah. both got covered by by Elvis. Yeah. Um, so I mean, so the the second verse of the song says, "For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell the real story. Tell it in that straightforward puritanical tone in the mystic hours where a person's alone. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Godspeed. Thump on the Bible. Proclaim the creed." One of the things I really love of this, again, first of all, it's incredibly catchy. I mean, just a really catchy Absolutely. tune. And it, this is the kind of thing where, you know, no no offense to uh, to Murder Most Foul. It's a masterpiece of a song. But it's like, that's your single to promote the record? Like a 17-minute, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to me, if you're trying to get some new people to listen to Bob Dylan, you might want to send them the four-minute up tempo number you know i don't know maybe i'm crazy you know i don't you know i don't i don't work for sony music what do i know <laughs> but i would feel like this would be immediately kind of an earworm to a lot of people and another thing i love about it is his i love when bob does that kind of like uh, what's that like the super confident uh, tone in his swagger. voice the swagger that's a better word for it the swagger it's kind of what you hear in, on definitely on false prophet as well we for talked sure. about that when we did the episode um, but on it, but, uh, yeah, just the way he's, he's like rolling the words around in his mouth and you can sort of hear the smile, um, yes. <laughs> and, and the way he kind of leads, you know, tell it in a straightforward puritanical tone. And it's just, he's yeah. kind of growling it a little, but, he, but the diction is incredibly clear and you could just tell he is just enjoying the living hell. Oh yeah. And singing this song. Um, and the rhymes are, you know. There's something so, uh, I think there's something so enjoyable about what, if you know a song and you kind of know at a certain point, I mean, you're, li- you're listening to it for the first time and you know that, okay, as I'm saying, like everything's going to rhyme with eat now. 
Okay. So what, you know, what are the, uh, you know, what are the kind, you know, and then he's going to constantly find a way to like, and you're like, you're kind of like admiring the cleverness of it. Like, okay, what is he going to come here and go to Godspeed, you know, proclaim the Cree. Like, it's kind of like, all right, Bob, you know, I know you got it. Show me, show me what you got here. You know what I mean? Like come up with these rhymes that you've got. Um, So in your mind, like in your head, uh, like what is this song about to you? You know, in your, in, what do you think about it when you hear this song? Yeah. So um, the funny thing is, I mean, this is pretty much, this is for Bob Dylan, especially later uh, years, Bob Dylan, a straightforward song. Um, a lot of people have commented and I agree that Rough and Rowdy Ways is one of the most straightforward lyrically albums he's made. But the funny thing is, this being the most fun song on the album, it's also maybe the most ambiguous song on the album. But after having listened to it a lot of times, I, I kind of see it as, as, as almost like him visiting the grave of Jimmy Reed, maybe going, going down where he's buried and trying to search around and find his tombstone or whatever. And, and then just kind of thinking about his kinship with Jimmy Reed, like how Jimmy Reed has influenced him and, you know, the various pitfalls that he fell into and, and how his Bob Dylan's own life uh, compares in contrast with that. So when I look at it, that it, a lot of the lyrics kind of make more sense to me because it does seem like Bob is talking a lot about himself or a lot about the character of the song. If you, if you um, don't interpret it as it's being Bob, but I mean, pretty much when, when he says, I, I mean, you would have to <laughs> assume uh, unlike some of the early um, albums of, you know, previous recent albums, this seems like it's, it's Dylan talking about himself. Hard not to, when he sings a line about playing guitar, yeah, you know, you're like, well, he's talking about being a musician, and yet, as we yeah. know from again from interviews that Bob has given, that he sees himself as a working man, like a craftsman. Now, most people at this point would consider him, you know, an artiste, uh, an artiste upon artiste. Yeah. But I don't think he he doesn't seem to look at himself like that, and maybe that's a way no. of keeping himself humble. Right. Um, you know, there's there's this great. It's not a whole story. I just remember hearing this about. John Ford, John, the great director, John Ford, apparently right. was at a, uh, a get together with fellow directors and, and, and other movie people. And he introduced himself with, I'm John Ford and I direct Westerns, which is, <laughs> you know, such a, I mean, this is a guy that did the Grapes of Wrath and, you know, I mean, he did these amazing yeah. other movies, but yet he introduces himself in this kind of almost falsely humble way of yeah. like, I direct Westerns, like he's just some hack you know, that's yeah. cranking out odors, you know, for the, for the B, uh, the B <laughs> movie crowd. And it's like, you're John Ford. What are you talking about? And yeah, I think Bob is doing a little bit of that. Oh, when yeah, he thinks absolutely. of himself like that, when he puts himself in the yeah. shoes of like a Jimmy Reed, he's saying he's kind of like that. And it's like, well, Bob, yeah. you're obviously a whole other level, but I appreciate the kind of like, yeah, he sees himself as a, as a, a blues man, you know, in, in 2022 and there aren't that many of them left anymore. Right. And, and, you know, Bob, he always is combining highbrow, middlebrow, and lowbrow, <laughs> one thing. You know, that's, that's seen best on the album, probably in uh, my own version of you, <laughs> you know. But here it's seen as well. And, I mean, you know, like you were talking about Bob seeing himself as a craftsman. There's this line in there about, they threw everything at me, everything in the book. I had nothing to fight with but a butcher's hook. That, you know, that kind of puts him as, you know, more of just a, kind of cast him as more of just a... Uh, a working man almost you know yeah and, and not in a way of trying to be not in a john lennon sort of way of trying to be like you know i'm a working class person but bob it really seems like the way he sees himself 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the third verse is, you won't amount to much that people all said because I didn't play guitar behind my head, never pandered, never acted proud, never took off my shoes and threw them into the crowd. Goodbye, yeah. Jimmy Reed. Goodbye and good night. I'll put a jewel in your crown. I'll put out the light. And then he moves on to that verse you're talking about. They threw everything at me, everything in the book. They had nothing to fight. I uh, had nothing to fight with, but a butcher's hook. They have no pity. They don't lend a hand. And I can't sing a song that I don't understand. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Goodbye and good luck. Cause I can't play the record because my needle got stuck. Now, of course, in the next verse, he's going to be talking about women and, you know, it's hard to say, well, the needle got stuck. That could be a metaphor for a lot of things, obviously. <laughs> um, sure. but yeah, I've always, yeah, I always sort of took this song for my own personal meaning was, this is a guy finding kinship with um, a fellow musician, seeing himself that way, and still, still at this point uh, at his career, still feeling even maybe a little defensive about yeah. his what how he has chosen to manage his career. I mean, yeah. the line about I can't sing a song that I don't understand. That, from what we know of how he rea- how he approaches his own material, he has to feel like. He's in the moment of any given yeah. song that he's singing. And like I was joking about earlier, he's not going to sing Stuck Inside of Mobile just because he's in Mobile. Right. That's like, that is, <laughs> kind of, that is, yeah, that is throwing your shoes into the crowd in a right. lot of ways. And he just is sometimes to his own detriment, just right. knee jerk against that. Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways. And so, you know, it's kind of amazing to think that he's at this point, how many more awards is there left for this man to be given? <laughs> that he still got that a little bit of that kind of uh, you know reaction of, of feeling defensive but obviously at least at the very least the character in the song still feels that way yeah yeah definitely and you know it's interesting that he picks jimmy reed um i, I by the way he's talked about writing this album as he talked about in that um, famous times article it may be just because it came to him maybe he actually was visiting uh, Jimmy Reed's home or tomb or something like that. Um, but, you know, one thing that strikes me is how he talks about so many people who have died on this album. Yeah. You know, and, and the people that he chooses are people that I think he thinks of as being pure, as being unsullied by a culture. Um, huh. You know, this, and this is just kind of my theory about it, but, you know, he picks um, – obviously the most high profile is JFK and sure. you know, one thing is that JFK, his assassination is one that even though at the time was politically divisive, I think in today's world is less politically divisive uh, of a, uh, it's, it's something that he can sing about and everyone's going to pretty much mourn that loss. Mm-hmm. And there's not going to be a lot, there's not going to be a lot of political trappings on it um obviously you know we we can imagine you know what side of the line that bob dylan falls on but he he picks other people like um uh mckinley who a lot of people don't even remember you know that was assassinated uh by an anarchist i think in the early 1900s and then jimmy reed here who a lot of people don't remember either obviously a lot of people remember jfk but it seems like he's picking people to talk about who have not been necessarily uh politicized in today's culture like today's kind of like realm. Um, and he's picking people who have been um, other than JFK pretty much forgotten. Except, and then Julius Caesar obviously yeah. is not as much forgotten. That's much more of a literature 
um, kind not a literary reference, but more of a classic reference, which, which also kind of gets me, and I don't want to hijink any, any kind of direction you're wanting to take the conversation, but um, uh, this Goodbye Jimmy Reed song ties into this uh, definitely ever since the standards, the American songbook era that Dylan started, he's, he's kind of, it's almost like he's been trying to, to educate us even more so than ever before about the people who influenced him. You know, critics of Dylan can level sometimes uh, something at him that he's not responsible for, and they will acknowledge he's not responsible for, but the whirlwind of his popularity, it's almost like it erased some of the influences, you know, in, in the whirlwind of Dylan's popularity, a lot of people forgot about, you know, say, um, Woody Guthrie, they forgot about Robert Johnson, they forgot about Jimmy Reed, and, you know, people like this who have influenced um, Dylan so much, you know, Jimmy Reed, the guitar style and the harmonica style uh, definitely was a big influence on Dylan. Uh, Little Richard, some of the way he, some of his performance style and the hair and things like that were <laughs> an influence to Dylan, you know, these things that it's like, he's bringing them back around to us. You know, it even ties into that um, Nobel prize speech that he recorded instead of doing in person, you know, to where he spends the time talking about literature and like Buddy Holly and uh, throwing together both like Moby Dick and early <laughs> rock and roll. And so that uh, even this song itself feels like that to me. That's all very interesting. I like that. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of him wanting to go back to people that have kind of not been corrupted by our current culture. Uh, I think that's an interesting idea. Um, now, I mean, obviously this, this kind of thing was on his mind for a while because there's a quote from David Hidalgo who played on together through life. And Hidalgo talks about working on the song. If you ever go to Houston, and he yeah, said that it, it's, yeah, that's a great song. And he said, it started out like a Jimmy Reed tune. And then it, <laughs> it, it ended up with Bob's playing organ. He started this riff and it went from this completely other thing to what it is now. It was fun to be in the room when it happened, which is, that's the understatement of the year. It'd be fun and you know, fun to be in the room. You see Bob Dylan For real. <laughs> transmute his, uh, these bass metals into art. But that's really interesting that he had this idea of like a Jimmy Reed tune in his head. And he made, you know, that was the original inspiration maybe for if you ever go to Houston, although of course we already we've talked about that song on this show and we already know the, the influences that song has and laid bare in the lyrics and stuff. But it's interesting that that was, that was like a little nugget in the back of his head and it stayed there for what, 11 years, 12 years, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's amazing. The, the, uh, the long game. This guy yeah. kind of plays. Always. Um, it's sort yeah. of really uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. You know, I think about that. And then, again, not to get too uh, far afield, but again, that's kind of what the show is for. Um, one of my favorite uh, miniseries, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is I, Claudius, the BBC yes. miniseries. I watch it every year. Uh, it's just, I find it brilliant. And the, the whole beginning of that is that Augustus Caesar's wife, Livia, is sort of the schemer behind all this and doesn't want the Republic to be restored. And so she moves all these pieces around, moves people around like they are just chess pieces to uh, keep power. She moves her son Tiberius into power, but there's a line in it where someone says, you know, dear Lord, time means nothing to her because Livia plays this long game. And she thinks in terms of, of a long game that most people can't wrap their heads around. 
because they people just think in the moment, you know. I mean, good lord, we're living through that right now, where everything is yeah. in the moment. Everything has to be yeah. reacted to right now, right now. Well, you know, what do you mean right. you can't comment? The, the the news just happened a minute ago. Well, you don't have a statement yet. That kind of thing. And I think Bob Dylan, first of all, he makes a lot of references to Rome uh, right. on this record and on other songs. Uh, but I also think he feels that. I think he thinks like that. I think his brain works like that. I mean, it. it he thinks of these people that he's reading about, whether it's Jimmy Reed or it's Julius Caesar or it's Marlon Brando or, you know, or Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> and they're all kind of just in the mix in his head yeah. at any given point. And there is no sense of that's from the past. That's from the more recent past. That's in the car. It's all yeah. just present for him at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I was just recently watching something, uh, a clip of a documentary on YouTube where it was, Bob Dylan being interviewed for some kind of documentary about Jimmy Carter, I think. Yes. And, yeah, uh, he's in there. And, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he references at length a Leonard Skinner song. <laughs> wow. <laughs> calling him a simple man, you know, like basically like calling Jim, uh, Jimmy Carter a simple man based on the song. So, yeah, all of these things are always existing in his head at the same time. And, you know, I, I think that's the same view he's trying to give us. Uh, you know, when we study, you know, ancient Roman poetry, for instance, you know, we have Homer who, you know, we would probably think of Bob Dylan as our Homer, you know, um, <laughs> looking at all these things in a mythological way almost. Um, but then, you know, we, we get the other, you know, lesser poets at the same time. And, you know, we, we kind of don't, we're not really looking down on, on the plays from, you know, ancient Greece or whatever. Although in that time period, they would have been looked down on as, you know, a lower form uh, of art. But Dylan kind of doesn't exist in the moment, necessarily exist in several moments at once, or he feels like he does, it seems. And so he sees it all the same, almost. Yeah, I mean, good Lord, he named a record Time Out of Mind. You know, yeah. I mean, right, <laughs> he couldn't be more kind of clear about it. Now, the the penultimate verse, the transparent woman in a transparent dress, I suit it suits you well, I must confess. I'll break open your grapes and I'll suck out the juice. That's uh, definitely the uh, high, middle, and low that you refer to. Uh, <laughs> I need you like my head needs a noose. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. Goodbye in so long. I thought I could resist her, but I was so wrong. Now, again, if you want to, you can take that very literally that, okay, at some point in the song, we're now talking about a woman. Because, you know, that's that's a lot of Bob songs. It's most of them at this point. But I always, I again, in my head for the song, I took it as this is uh, a manifestation of something that is distracting him from the purer path. And when I say pure, I don't mean that in a sort of holy sense, although I guess you could use that word, but not in a... Uh, yeah. Not like in a religious sense, but this idea that he's again, it's it's sort of funny because this the immediate the song immediately following this one is Mother of Muses, yes. which kind of covers the same ground in a lot of ways. But I, I feel like it's like he's almost looking to Jimmy Reed, kind of going back to what you were just talking about. It like that Jimmy Reed's a figure from before getting corrupted by our modern culture. That he's kind of looking at Jimmy Reed is like, okay, he's kind of like a North Star. And, you know, I did my best to kind of stay pure like that. I didn't throw my shoes into the crowd and I didn't sing a song and I didn't understand. And this transparent woman in a transparent dress, which again, you know, laid bare, uh, this, yeah. this, this person is, is not particularly coy and they're so not coy that they're even wearing a, tr a transparent outfit, but he's tempted. It suits you yeah. well. I must, yeah. I must confess. And he, 
you know, he has that lascivious nature. I'll break out of I'll suck out the juice. But I really, I need you like my head needs a noose. That's just such a wonderful, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a, just a purely enjoyable turn of phrase. Absolutely. Well, you know, you said you, you kind of started to say religion, then you said not necessarily religion. But, you know, we kind of started with verse two in our, in our uh, breakdown of this. But, you know, verse one specifically references religion you know it sure does every all um, of them practically you know where the jews the catholics and the muslims pray (laughs) then he goes at the end of that verse give me that old time religion is just what i need you know tell me that straightforward puritanical tone um you know one thing that comes to mind is like jonathan edwards sinners in the hands of an angry god you know and then we come down to the verse we're talking about right now and it's you know, there's a little bit of an element of, you know, what you might call lust or sinfulness in there as well, alongside an image of, you know, a kind of purity as well. So uh, I think all that ties together, both in himself and then in this song's kind of representation of music's ability to bring people together as well. You know, in, in this verse five, it's kind of bringing him together almost, you know, I need you like my head needs a noose. (laughs) It's like, you can think of so many different implications with that. Obviously the first one, you know, your head doesn't need a noose, (laughs) but Bob goes to so many dark places in this album that you have to wonder, well, is he thinking that it maybe does, you know? Um, And so there's the religion aspect of the music saving you from that as well. Yeah. I mean, the the line about the, the, where the Jews and the Catholics and the Muslims all pray, you're like, what, what place is that, pray tell? I mean, uh, you know, that doesn't that the doesn't records. exist anymore. Yeah, the records. Yeah, the albums, that's that yeah. the album. That's where it is. That's you know, not not. Uh, we can't imagine such a thing nowadays. We're all so stratified. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, in the records. Uh, and I, I, I got to tell you, it was thanks to this song that I learned what a prodi was. Uh, I never knew right? what There's that no was. One. I was like, what's a prodi? I had to look it up. Oh, it's a kind of a a slightly. Uh, demeaning term for a protestant i never knew that yeah. i never heard that word again bob's introducing uh, words in my lexicon so th- <laughs> thanks, so much for, thanks for that so much for that bob yeah, and but, uh, yeah doubling down on the uh, religion part abs- yeah and uh, again i love the line i thought i could resist her but i was so wrong so wrong is, i you know when you know, this is a guy who uh, again the narrator i'm not going to say bob dylan exactly but the narrator yeah he's got such a gift of game He's got such a gift to gab. This guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I mean, the, the line in false prophet about when your, your smile meets my smile, something's got to give. I mean, it's like, this is still a guy that can go up to a, presumably a woman, but maybe who anyone he's trying to attract and just pull out a pithy phrase that makes them go, whoa, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I admire it. Well, you know, there's the element that we haven't really talked about yet in that in Jimmy Reed's life, a lot of the reason that he didn't become as popular as, as some of his contemporaries who, you know, he had a lot of hits early on when he, when Jimmy Reed was putting out singles, he had hits that were, were bigger than other, some, some of the other people who are legends now, but he really succumbed to a lot of alcoholism and, and a lot of uh, various succumbing to temptation. Jimmy Reed did. And, you know, so bad to the point that by the late sixties, early seventies, I think, his alcoholism was so bad that his wife was the one basically, I don't know if she was writing his songs, but she had to help him remember all of the lyrics to, you know, songs and things like that. So it's interesting, you know, Bob talking about coming in and out of temptation, maybe in this verse five 
Uh, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, uh, that, absolutely. That's the, I read that too about the, about Jimmy Reed's wife that she had to help him out. I got to want you know, Bob. You know, Bob's probably had that at some point in his life from the various women in his life. But a lot of this he's kind of had to go do on his own. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm sure he doesn't. Um, I'm sure he doesn't want to have emulated someone who had that kind of problem. But at the same yeah. time, it would have been nice to know you had a partner that could kind of help you do that. You well, know? that's a good uh, point. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but that's a good point. So um, the song, the final verse, he says, God be with you, brother dear. If you don't mind me asking, what brings you here? Oh, nothing much. I'm just looking for the man. I came to see where he's lying in this lost land. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed. And with everything within you, can't you hear me calling from down in Virginia? Now, of course, Jimmy Reed has a song down in Virginia. So, I mean, yes. he ends it with an exact paraphrase of a Jimmy Reed song, which is I feel yeah. like such a beautiful tribute to yeah. the guy. But I love the conversation of, if you don't mind me asking, what brings you here? Nothing much. Yeah. Just looking for the man. Just that shruggy, nothing much. Just looking for the man. I came to see where he's lying in this lost land. And it, again, it reminds me of that scene in um, the Rolling Thunder review and then in, in um, uh, Ronaldo McClara where him mm-hmm. and Ginsburg go to Jack Kerouac's grave. Yeah. You know, there's there's yes. something very totemistic about seeing the grave of this person that you admire so much. And so there's something wonderful about this idea that like while Bob's on tour, maybe he's at Jimmy yeah. Reed's grave or something. And that's, yeah. that's the way he pays tribute. It's such a, again, what a it's a tremendous way to wrap up the song. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the first, the first time I heard this song, you know, I, I instantly thought that maybe he was saying that the person who's talking to him is maybe Jimmy Reed's ghost. I'm not completely convinced about that now. I don't know why that was immediately what sprung to mind for me when I heard the song first. But obviously, we don't really know who's saying, um, God be with you, brother dear, if you don't mind me asking what brings you here. But it could be Jimmy Reed or, or someone close to him talking to uh, Dylan or the narrator. And, and then it goes on down to uh, Down in Virginia, the song, um, which is, is one of the, the better Jimmy Reed songs, I think. And also, if you listen to the song Down in Virginia, it, it has a similar tune, rhythm, yes. and chord progression to this song. Pretty similar. In fact, some of the instrumental uh, breakdowns and things like that are, are very similar. It's got that kind of the jingle jangle, the descending. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm butchering it as I'm trying mm-hmm. to say it. But yeah, I heard it. I'm like, oh, that's you can hear it on the song. Yeah, uh, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, there's just again, it's the whole thing is just so fun, so yes. lively. Uh, the lyrics are fun to sing. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> in a yes. car by yourself or something. I don't ever sing around other people, uh, but it's such a fun song. And again, it's just the the confidence by which he yeah. sings it is just so much fun. Now, of course, uh, we were just talking about uh, at the top of the show about seeing him live on the Rough and Ready yes. Ways tour. For a song that's pretty brand new, it's obviously already getting a lot of live outings. It's been played yes. 49 times since November. Wow. November. So obviously all these Rough and Rowdy Way songs are, um, yeah, getting are, are you know, except for Murder Most Foul, are, are, are yeah. getting, uh, you know, getting the yeah. and I would nice tell, life uh, live-wise. Yeah, when, when he performed this, when, at least in my show, and I think he's been doing this at most, if not every show, this was the penultimate song. Um, right before uh, he closed with every grain of sand. Right. And at, at this stretch of the concert, both in this and in some of the, the rough bootlegs that I've heard, he feels so much energy performing this song. Um, and his piano playing even gets a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the band is energized as well, even though, you know, it's like 
toward the end of the concert, you know, and, and Bob at his age, you might think he'd be getting worn out, but no, he performs the song with just as much gusto, just as much swagger um, as anything. And, you know, every time he gets to that, uh, my needle got stuck line. He just like, <laughs> belts that out. I still can't figure out exactly the joke he's trying to make with that, but he, he loves it anyway. I mean, he's just having so much fun with it. And, and as the, the whole crowd, I definitely felt it. I think the crowd that I was in felt it too. Um, the energy is infectious. Bob has, uh, well, okay. Before, before I get off this, um, he, he, from what I, I haven't been paying like super close attention to like all the variations of what he's been doing. He has not really been messing with this. I think the lyrics no. that he's been singing are pretty much the lyrics on the record. There's other songs yeah. that he's still futzing with, but this one, not so much. It seems like he's pretty much doing what, what it sounds like on the record. Yeah. Which is a sign that he got it close, pretty close to what he wanted. Uh, the songs where he plays around with them a lot, he often has said in interviews, he was not happy. Um, like, you know, like how he constantly changes the way he performs um, Gotta Serve Somebody or the way he used to change how he would perform uh, Tangled Up Blue. But no, th- I think he must have got this just about right for his own satisfaction uh, on the album. I think so. And by the way, the line about the needle got stuck, that, you know, that is a, 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 there is a lot of uh, sexual potency. <laughs> well that's one songs, explanation you can find you know? for it. yeah especially in this album there it definitely yeah. is a lot of them could be could be read that way yeah yeah i mean he's singing in, in, in dignity he sings yes. about going into the valley of dry bone dreams and dry bone dreams is known as like a uh, a way to refer to impotence so i mean it's something that's and of course you know if you want to take it literally, you could take it literally, but you could also talk about it as creative impotence, you know, create, you know, mm-hmm. feeling, uh, feeling like you're stuck. Like you kind of like you were talking about yeah. seeing other artists and seeing them. And it's like a museum piece, you know, like yeah. it's just, it's just this kind of oh, very yeah. staid, like, okay, well that was acceptable, yeah. you know, but Bob's not looking to do that. He's looking to kind of have it be living, breathing doctor yeah. every night that you see him. Um, again, which is inspiring for someone who is, uh, just shy of me as we're recording this 81 years, it's going to be 81 years yeah. old in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. And you know, the, his journey through the American standards, um, through the two albums and then the triple album really seems to have re-energized him and his, his songwriting has even, it seems as if it's improved, you know, it's definitely seems as if it's improved from Tempest to here. Uh, and is more focused than ever. Uh, that's maybe not than right. ever, but then then recently. That again, that seems to be the, the 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 formula, not a formula, but that seems to be what happens to him is that he goes off and kind of works and dabbles in other people's backyards for a while, and then he comes back, you know, like a like a storm that's gathered yeah. know, power over the sea. You know, I mean, he went yeah. through the sort of self portrait. Uh, era and then he comes back with like, New Morning and then he kind of dabbles again disappears for a while and then he comes back yeah. with Planet Waves but on the tracks and then he does the folk records which are great records uh, yeah. but then he come, you know, comes back and then he sits on those for a while and comes back with Time Out of Mind then he does these songbook records and now boom you got this so it's it's yeah. like he returns to that that well of inspiration from other people yeah. uh, and then you know it infuses him and it comes down to these other songs. And so it's just, it's just remarkable. And so, yeah, this is just, so I never tire of this song. I just never no. tire of it. Just so fun to listen to. I enjoyed it when I heard yeah. him do it live. I really do hope that 
they do a rough and ready ways tour record or something for Pete's sakes, you know? Yeah. I mean, that like, would be nice. Yeah. I mean, the, some of the arrangements are just great. Some of the arrangements are even, I don't know if they're better than the album, but this one is not better than the album just because it's so good on the album, but it's absolutely fun live. Yeah. Um, other ones like black rider, I would argue were better at my show was better at my show. Um, than it was on the album. It was uh, infused with more, um, I don't know, gravitas and seriousness almost. Yeah, different things like that. It's a, Again, that's a song that you would not think you would even try and do live because it's so spare. But again, yeah. you know, he's experimenting, trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, but yeah, this yeah. is, we were, before this record came out, you know, after, after it came out, but before you we went on tour, you know, I was, I, we were doing episodes and talking to people. We were saying, what songs you really want to hear him do? And this was the one everyone was like, oh yeah, this is just going to destroy live. It's just so yeah. fun. Um, and so uh, no less than uh, President uh, Barack Obama said this was one of his favorite songs of 2020. Yep. So thanks for that, uh, Mr. President. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's sort of funny again. It, it's, I, I know I mentioned this on other, on other shows, um, a bunch of years ago, back when they were still doing CDs, I think it was whatever label Johnny Cash was on, they put together um, collections of his music based on themes. Mm-hmm. And it was like Love, God, Murder, I think were the three oh, records. Okay. And I thought that's a really fun. And I think about like, you could really put together a whole record of just Bob Dylan name checking blues people. You know, it's like <laughs> High Water, Bly Willie McTell, you know, Goodbye Jimmy. You know what I mean? It's like you really yeah. can have to compile a whole record of these people that are no longer with us, but in, in Bob's eyes are probably just as alive as, like you talked about Julius Caesar, anybody else. They are just as yeah. present. Uh, and, he's, and he's doing that for us. He's making them because now, like we talked about, mm-hmm. I, Jimmy Reed is something I get to enjoy that I never even occurred to me before this. Yeah, and it's interesting. He pulls out a lot of these people when they're not really relevant sometimes to uh, quote unquote relevant in, right. in the culture, like Jimmy Reed, obviously, you know, a lot of us, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm not the only one who didn't know who he was before. Um, you know, like how on shot of love, he did a song about Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so many years after, or how in Tempest he did roll on John. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really amazing. T- it's a great, Great song on a great record. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it just, you know, adds another, you know, yeah, amazing. The guy's you know, 80 years old, still writing songs like this. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. it's just unreal. So, well, Ethan, uh, I mean, geez, thank you so much for, for doing this. I was really looking forward to this conversation because as I said, I just, this song is so much fun. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm glad. Hopefully we can bring a little bit more attention uh, to this song and this album. Yeah, come on, everybody. Get get on board with the uh, g- Goodbye Jimmy retrain. So uh, before we sign off here, I do need to ask you the standard question. So um, if there was any Bob Dylan album that you could sit in on the sessions for, which uh, one would it be? Uh, probably Slow Train Coming. Um, that was the first song, uh, the first album, you know, as I said earlier, that got me into Dylan. And uh, I think it would have been fun to see his energy during the uh, Christian evangelistic period. Um, I know that that was a time when he was very re-energized. Uh, so I think that could have been, then also with the, um, uh, the gospel singers he has in the background, that whole energy must've just been really fun. I almost feel like I wish I could have sat down and jammed with him in the band at that time. 
That's a great answer. Absolutely. I know I remember reading about that, like while he was making their record, he was trying to evangelize to Jerry Wexler. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jerry Wexler Famous was quote. like, Bob, I'm an old Jew. Let's just make a record. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that would have been fun to hear. Just like, okay, Bob, he's yeah. like, you know, trying to sell Jesus on this guy. Like, all right, no, we're gonna, let's just move on. Um, so, uh, so why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm at Twitter at a heavy metal pin and, um, then along with my uh, website, the um, those are the two places I kind of gather uh, together the various things I write and do. Um, I, I have writing in several different areas, uh, both essays, poetry, things like that. So if you check those two places, you can keep up with me. And then also, for instance, I um, posted on the Not only do I post the things that I uh, write and get published, but also I write additional um, pieces there. And I did one on my experience, my first time at a Bob Dylan concert. Um, so definitely check out those two places. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, I enjoyed your piece. Uh, thank that's, you. what, that's what got me uh, to, to reach out to you because I remember I saw the link and I read it. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad that I've been with Bob as long as I've been with him. But it, I also would like, boy, I imagine seeing Bob again for the first time. Like what an amazing experience that would be to get to do that again. <laughs> uh, you know, for the first time. So, well, hopefully, it's not the last time for me. I'll definitely no. say that. And you know, he'll just keep touring forever, as as we know. So, again, thank you so much for doing this. Of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, firewaterpodcast dot com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. And then, finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon dot com slash fw podcast, and there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Superman's pal Henry Bernstein for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. out.